You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Chris Neal. Uh, so last week, if you were here, we talked about unity. And we talked about how we needed to have this mindset and this spirit and this heart of... Dang, we already forgot. Unity now! Hashtag unity now. Somebody online remembers probably. But hopefully... You guys are really challenged to think about unity and how that impacts your life with the people that are around you and, and that kind of stuff. Well, this week, I really feel that we need resolve before we can move on to revelation. Not revelations, revelation. So if you've been reading revelations, you're reading the wrong book. <laughs> but we need this heart of resolve before we can move on to revelation. So revelation is not, or resolve is not just a carpet cleaner anymore. It's a way of life, okay? <laughs> but I read a book a few years ago, and it's called The Compound Effect. But the gist of this book was this, is that successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. So any area of life where you see someone just like succeeding, they are consistently doing what other people are only doing occasionally. So if you see someone thriving spiritually, then they are consistently living out these habits that make like alone time with God a habit and a priority. They're consistently living out this habit where God's word is important to their life. They're consistently like praying and talking and listening for God to speak. And you see like there's something different about them and they're really thriving because they're consistently doing what other people are only occasionally doing. Or if you see someone and they're like killing it financially and they're living the life that you want to live, well, more often than not, those people are consistently doing what other people are only occasionally doing. So our habits matter. Like our habits will make us or break us. We become what we repeatedly do. And so most of us here today hopefully would say, I want to be healthy I want to be happy. I don't think anybody would say, by the time I'm 42, I want to have some dangerously high cholesterol. I think anybody would say that. I think most of us want to be secure in our finances. Nobody wants to be on the verge of divorce and because of all the bankruptcy and debt in their life by the time they're 35. Nobody wants that. Like, we want to be free. We want to be debt-free. And most of us, hopefully, we want to have good relationships with our spouses and our significant others and our friends and, and the people that we work with, as hard as that may be. We want to be a good friend. No one here would say, I don't want to have any real friends, and I just want to live alone by the time I'm 55. Like, hopefully, nobody would say that. And spiritually, like, hopefully, we all feel like there's a higher calling for our life. We feel like there's more to this life. We feel like we have a higher purpose, and hopefully... Everybody wants to have a relationship with God, and everybody wants to have a relationship with Jesus, and that you've really been thinking about that, and ultimately, that our lives will really make a difference and really matter. And when we look around, sometimes we see these people, and they're living the lives that we want to live. They're crushing it. And then sometimes we look around, and we see people, and they're living the lives that we don't ever want to live. So many times... People succeed and fail, but they kind of start with the same goals. Football season's here, so let's think about this. No coach is going to go into the locker room on the first day of practice 
and say, if we can just make it to fifth place this year in the SEC, like, we're set. No, Nick Saban would never say that. If he goes into a locker room, he said, if you're a fifth in anything, get out of here. That's what he says. But nobody, no coach would ever do that. Or if you're married, hopefully you want to have love and joy in your relationships. Like nobody says, man, by the fifth year of this marriage, we're going to be on an amazing date night at this place called Chili's. Yes, we're going to be there. And all we're going to do is look at our phones and never even talk to each other. Like nobody's going to say that, hopefully. It's the habits in our lives. We become what we repeatedly do. And by now, many of you are wondering, what the heck is even going on here? Like, is this Garden 2.0? Like, is this a self-help speech or a church? Like, where am I? What is going on? So we're going to talk about Revelation and about Jesus. We didn't come here for a self-help speech from Dr. Phil, right? Or even Dr. Neil. Not really Dr. Neil. Right? <laughs> but God knew we needed resolve before we needed revelation. And so when we read the Bible with this lens of all the stuff we've just talked about, we see people in the Bible and how they interact with God sets, for the most part, the trajectory of their life. We see people with godly habits, and they're kind of successful most of the time. We see people with ungodly, like, like with a lack of godly habits, and sometimes they're not doing quite as well. But it's just like everything else in your life, your spiritual lives are never static. They never stop. So you're either growing and intentionally moving toward God and actively seeking God and his word and what God has for you, or you're passively doing nothing, and that means you're going away from God, or you're actively running from God because you know God has asked you to do something and you're not doing it. But our spiritual life is never static. And so today, I want to use the book of Daniel, and we're going to see some things in Daniel that I really believe will help us as we move into Revelation next week. So when I say Daniel, even if you didn't grow up in church, what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say Daniel in the lion's den? Right. Hashtag lion's den online. I just like to run these hashtags, and people search them, and then they may hear a message they don't even know they need to hear, right? But yeah, we all know about Daniel. Most of us know about Daniel in the lion's den. But Daniel's also a story about Daniel and his friends. And they're taken captive by the Babylonians. But they like try and stay faithful to God and try and stay faithful to the Torah. And that's chapters 1 through 6. And then chapters 7 through 12, a lot of people like to read these because this is like Daniel's visions of the future. They're visions about how one day the Son of Man will rise up and he will conquer Babylon and he will conquer everything that is in opposition to God and he will like, restore this unity between heaven and earth. And so as we study Revelation, we're going to see many references to Daniel and how God will fulfill his promise to unify heaven and earth again through his Son, Jesus Christ. And that's kind of Daniel's story in a nutshell. But how did Daniel get to where he was? What's going on with Daniel? And that's what I kind of want to look at this morning. <clears throat> Let's start with Daniel 6.3. It says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over his entire kingdom. And so how did Daniel get here and what's going on here and who's this king? 
So this is King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he liked to conquer kingdoms. And so when he conquered a kingdom, he would go into that conquered kingdom's court. Say that three times fast. And he would take all the best and the brightest young men, you know, those voted most likely to succeed, and he would bring them back to Babylon, and he would enter them in this three-year intensive, like, new program that was going to inundate them with the customs of the Babylonians. So first thing they did when they got these young men there is they changed their names. Because their names were tied to the God of Yahweh, the one true God. But when they got to Babylon, they changed their names to the to names that would like honor their gods and their idols. And so they're slowly starting to strip away these young men's identity. And then they made these men read the literature. They made them like learn the language. They had them eat food that had been sacrificed to idols. For three years they did this. That was 10 hours a day. It's over 10,000 hours of this culture trying to change. 10,000 hours will change somebody most of the time. But they were trying to get them in this process, and they wanted them to look and act and think like a Babylonian. And so that was the whole process. But Daniel, he refused to fall into these habits. And this is where we pick up the story in Daniel 1.8. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official... For permission not to defile himself in this way. So Daniel resolved in his heart not to take on the habit of eating this meat mainly that had been sacrificed to idols. Instead, he had vegetables and water, and as a result, he looked stronger and healthier than all the other captives that had this meat and this, you know, the king had the best food, the choicest wine, but he looked healthier and stronger. And Clarissa says, wherever she's at, amen. Vegetables and water, it's all you need. So, and then Daniel and his friends are back in trouble. The Babylonians are trying to pressure them to take on these customs that they don't necessarily want to take on. And so this is where we pick up the story in Daniel 3, 14 through 18. Maybe you heard of these guys. So Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? And he says, Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are not ready to fall down and worship the image I made, or if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will immediately be thrown into the fiery furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And so even Daniel's friends, they're trying to remain faithful to the one true God, Yahweh. And they're being challenged and they're being threatened with being thrown into the fiery furnace. But they all choose to stay faithful for God. And this is like some real persecution. And some of us, we don't like to come to church when it's sprinkling. 
But this is real persecution. And they say, they stay strong and they say, even if God doesn't answer my prayer the way I think God should answer my prayer, I'm going to stay faithful. And I have one more example for you. In Daniel 6, they're trying to trap Daniel this time. They're trying to find a flaw in his character. The king set up a decree where they can only worship the king. And this is where we pick up the story in Daniel 6.10. And when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. In Babylon, they're still trying to force these habits down Daniel's throat, and he has resolved in his heart not to take them on. And he continues on. He'd done this for years probably, not once a day, not twice a day, but three times a day he got down on his knees and he thanked God. Like not when it was convenient, not when the football game's over and your team is won, and then you have time to pray, not when there's, your Netflix show is all done, then I have time to pray or whatever. But Daniel, he stopped three times a day. He had this habit of stopping three times a day, and he would seek God, and he would listen for God to speak, and he took his burdens and his worries and his cares to God, and he prayed for God to direct his steps. This is the part I love, just as he had done before. And so there were like 120 young men taken captive when Daniel was taken captive and brought back to Babylon. And they were all being trained too. And many of them, they ate the choice meat and drank the choice wine. They gave in to culture, but not Daniel. He stood out. And what made Daniel stand out? Let's look at Daniel 6.4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds to bring charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel stood out, man. He's just this trustworthy, reliable, like faithful, not corrupt, good dude. Like he's a righteous young man trying his best to follow God. And he had some real persecution like he's been taken from his homeland. He's been put in this new system, and they're pressuring him. And he's been tempted to give in. Many of his friends that came with him, they've given in. They're like, Daniel, get over here and drink this wine. Come on, what are you doing? But he keeps his focus and his devotion, and he resolves in his heart that he's going to stay true to the one true God. And here's another thing I love about Daniel. It doesn't say anywhere that Daniel sat around and whined and moaned and complained about all this, oh, poor me, why me? No. Like he took action right where he was at in the middle of his persecution. And this lifestyle that's trying to draw him in, he says no. And he takes action. And he actively practices habits that bring him closer to God. And he actively showed his faith to others around him, even though he may have looked like a fool. And he centered his life and his actions and his habits around the one true God, Yahweh. And you know what happens? Like people take notice. They see, they notice Daniel. And listen to this in Daniel 6. The king said, man, I issue a decree that every part of my kingdom 
people must fear and revere the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders. In the heavens and on the earth. Do you see it there? Flash forward to, to Revelation. Like this is how the Bible ends. The one true God and his son reunite heaven and earth and they will rule for eternity. And so Daniel, he's like this fantastic young man who's just a great example of somebody who chose to go against culture and somebody who chose to have these godly habits in his life. And people noticed. And he did this mainly, I believe, so that he could be close to God. He prayed in that room so many times before the king ever issued a decree. Like he had prayed for years. I'm convinced of it. And, of course, all of us, we haven't been captured by Babylon, right? We're here. East End, we've been captured by East End, maybe. <laughs> but we're under this constant pressure. We really are. Like, to stand in opposition to what we believe. And then the world comes in. Like, we are tempted to watch things and to say things and to do things that do not honor God and what we believe. I must be the only one. Somebody online, hashtag, I'm not the only one, right? And this message of Daniel is the same message that we're going to see in Revelation. It's the message we need for this church because this church needs resolve before it needs revelation. Like we're going to see this message where God is going to stay faithful to Daniel and God's going to stay faithful to his people and God will eventually carry out what he has promised to do. And that's through his son, he will unite heaven and earth again. And we're going to see that in Revelation, and we see it in Daniel. The book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are this book of hope, really. Like this hope that should challenge us to do something with our life, like to take action instead of sitting passively. Daniel, he didn't just sit around and wait for God to move and wait for God to provide him a way out of the tribulation. And that's what we're going to see in Revelation. That's not what God's doing. That's not God's character. He's never static. He's always moving. He's never passive. He's always moving. And Daniel lived out this life that reflected God's character to the people around him. And that's what he's challenging us to do. And so we need to resolve in our hearts to commit to living out this life of faith if you say you believe that, right? But how do we get these godly habits in our lives? What do we do with them? And how do we get there? Well, I'm glad you asked this morning. Because I want to tell you this. No one is ever accidentally close to God. It's not like you're sitting around watching your favorite Netflix show and then all of a sudden, did you feel that? I think I just got close to God. Right? No, that doesn't happen. No one just wakes up one morning accidentally full of this faith and, and, and this grace and this strength and, the, and this beauty that you just have this joy and this inner peace inside. No one just wakes up with that one morning. It takes work. It takes time. It takes habits. It's a process that God starts and God perfects. But we got to do something. Like we need these habits. And many times, like I think people want these big, huge things.
things. They, they want to go overseas and help people. or They, want, they just want to do all these grand. But it starts with these small things that may seem like insignificant to you at the time, but they lead to something big. And one of the first things that Katie and I did, my wife Katie, over a decade ago, as I decided and we decided as a family that we were going to start tithing. We did our taxes and did our budget, and I said, and we're like, how can we tithe? How can we do this? And then I got to looking, and we were tithing to the DG. That's right. I said, if we just stopped going to the DG, we could easily tithe. We really could. Hashtag DG. But yeah, I, and, and this was a big one for me because I worshipped money. I loved money. I obsessed over money. I really did. But, man, I wanted to start giving to let, let myself know and my family know that God gives it all to us and we're going to give back. And we started small by most means, but it was a huge sacrifice for us and our family. And through this act of obedience, this habit, God removed this idol of money from my life. He really did. And he has given my heart, he has given my family a heart like for generosity. And I'm not talking about just, I'm talking about time and resources and energy. And I see it in my kids now. They just have this heart. Like they give away everything we own if I didn't let them. It's crazy. Yeah, slow down. We can't give everything away. And then another one. I did this over a decade ago. I was just sitting there and I said, me and my family, we're going to go to church 52 times in a row. And I know for some of you that's crazy. Like, what? But I hadn't gone to church 52 times in my whole life. And I'm in my 30s. And I said, like, we're going to go to church 52 times in a row. And during this time, we also resolved in our hearts as a family that we were going to start serving, that we were going to start reading the Bible together, that we were going to start praying together. Because I knew it was my job to get my family to church. At the very least, I was just going to drop them off and let them go in. But no, as a man, you're the spiritual leader of your house. I knew it was my job. I could feel God calling me to step up and do this. But I had to take responsibility. I had to show myself and others around me and my family that I was devoted to what I said I believed, just like Daniel did. Like I had to demonstrate my faith to my family and my friends. I had to resolve in my heart. And it wasn't easy all the time. It wasn't. Like I've had my share of time in the fiery furnace, trust me. But man, through it all, through these small acts of over a decade now, man, I've seen God move in ways that I could have never imagined. And I am so humbled, and I do not deserve to even be up here. I don't know. I'm just trying to do my best to bring honor and glory to God. And I'm not saying this either today. So you're going to do something, and you're going to get something from God. I'm not saying that today. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that, like, what you, you know, if you give all these things away, that your actions are going to somehow save you. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying, like, your actions are going to make God love you more. I'm not saying that. God loves you infinitely as much as he will ever love you right now in this moment. Our relationship with God is initiated through faith alone in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. That's where it starts that's where it ends. But like any relationship in your life, if you don't do anything with it, you're not going to be that close. If you never talk to your wife or your kids and then you wonder why they're distant, it's because you never talk to them. Like you have to be active. Like our lives will never be full of all this faith, power, and grace if we don't actively pursue faith, power, and grace and live that stuff out. Our habits matter. Over time, you become what you repeatedly do, like you really do. 
and all these habits in my life, because I've been trying to add one positive habit to my life for over a decade now, so I have about 10. And so I've been trying to add these positive habits to my life and take one thing that's not so good away. Um, but all these over time have really made my relationship with God better. They really have. Like they've made my relationship with Katie better. They've made my relationship with my kids better. Like they've made my relationship hopefully with all of you better. They've grown my faith. They've helped me to be a better spiritual leader. But I had to take the action. I had to initiate all these things. And all these things really helped me to win at manhood. They really did. So today, I want to challenge all of you to start thinking about one habit that you need to add to your life. One thing that you need to resolve in your heart today before you walk out this door online right now, hashtag resolve, what you need to resolve before you log off or whatever it is. And so for some of you, maybe it's like, I'm going to read Revelation like I've never read it before. And some of you have never read it before. So that's good. But you're going to read Revelation. You're not going to get out all your dusty old notes and say, this is what Revelation is. No, read it with an open mind and an open heart and ask God to speak into your life. Maybe some of you, it's too much. Like maybe you just need to resolve in your heart that I'm going to come to church every Sunday as best I can for the rest of the year. That's where we're going to start. This is a big one. Maybe some of you need to pray with your spouse or a significant other. Like I pray with Katie now. Every single night, unless she makes me mad, then it's no, no bueno then, but, right? But no, like we try. I grab her hand and we pray for our family and for all of you and for, just pray. Maybe some of you are like, I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't even know what, maybe some of you just got to quit drinking so much. Like somebody in your life has told you, man, you drink too much and they didn't want to tell you that, but they told you that because they love you and they care about you and you need to resolve in your heart today. And if you can't do it and white knuckle through it, then you got to find somebody and you got to tell them, you got to get some help, you got to get this stuff out into the light. Maybe some of you, you need to resolve in your heart that you're going to stop this life of comparison. And you're comparing your life to everybody else's highlight real life on social media, and it's killing you, it's driving you crazy. Stop or get some help. Resolve in your heart. Every time you want to think about that stuff, get on your knees and pray to God like Daniel did. One more. So seven out of ten men have a problem with this. The other three are lying, probably. Anyway, but it's porn. Like some of us, we got to get a grip on these things. It's porn. And you got to resolve in your heart that it's ruining your life, that it's taking every intimate relationship in your life, and it's taking it away. And then finally, you guys, you ladies, like you have resolved over the weekend to start something or do something, or you've seen God move in a, like in a supernatural way, and don't let the world take that away from you. Resolve in your heart today. Whatever it is you heard at the Garden Conference, that you're going to do it. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.